us to, um, if you will, kind of have more face time. So it's not just a couple people standing up here speaking and sharing, but we're doing more as a church family to just hear from one, one another after we've gone through a season where, man, we've been separated from one another. But even with that, I don't think that's only a seasonal reality for us. I think we need to do better where we're coming and sharing and here's the burden of my heart and things aren't what they should be or I wish them to be, but we're gonna pray through those things or hey, here's how God has shown up. Like we're gonna praise him for those kind of things. It's good for us to hear from one another. Um, and so we'll continue to uh, do this. Perhaps it's something that COVID has taught us as we've been away, how desperately we need one another. Uh, as we close this series on For the Joy of All Peoples, kind of a missions emphasis that we've had over the last uh, few weeks now, I want to turn your attention to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. Psalm 67 has actually come up in quite a few of our prayer times uh, together. And this past week, uh, just so you're aware, James and I uh, spent three days doing denominational meetings with the other pastors in our region um, it is always a sweet time to uh, get away, to have fellowship with them, to hear how God is at work blessing uh, churches on the local level as well as on the global level. It, it, it was just a blast to then interact in terms of friendship. Um, and so all that to say, this was a busy week to then come to a text. And so this morning I feel a little lean, if you will. Uh, not as much study, uh, but Psalm 67, I'm trusting it'll be um, something of an encouragement to us. But I'm going to try to keep it actually brief. Uh, so Psalm 67, let's read it together. The psalmist states, May God be gracious to us and bless us. And may he make his face to shine upon us. Why? Why do we want this blessing from God? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and let them sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. God is for your joy. God is for, just let that sink in for a moment, because in the circumstances of life, Right? We typically think, mm, I'm not so sure God is for my joy. What we've experienced, the fallout of life, or just the difficulties that we face, rough week, frustrated with all the people, frustrated with my kids, frustrated with my coworkers, frustrated with my neighbors. Mm. In that stuff is where we need to hear, God is for your joy. In the depth of brokenness, in the deep, dark pit of our experience, God is for your joy. 
or as the text in Psalm 67 will refer to joy as blessing or as gladness. God is for your joy. He is, if I can say this, make the caveat, biblical joy is not the same as biblical happiness. Happiness tends to be that which kind of comes by circumstance. Uh, we've been experiencing this a little bit more. Uh, little to toddler tantrum time, you know, where it's just raising hell at the top of this little guy's lungs, you know, and screaming and shouting and the tears are coming down and it's chaos, right? And so as soon as someone in the family says, would you like a popsicle? There's this magical fortitude that this little toddler gains in that moment to completely shut down, you know, this, this rage that is going on and just beam with light. You know, the tears are still rolling down and there's this smile, this happiness that comes over him. That kind of happiness is not the kind of joy that the Bible presents to us. Joy is not circumstantially driven. It doesn't kind of ebb and flow. If things are okay, well, then I'm happy, and therefore, you know, things are good. But when things are bad, then I'm not happy. Joy is something that goes through it all. It's why, if you remember, James can say, count it all joy when you face all kinds of various trials. Joy is something akin to contentment, that although life is falling apart, or maybe I'm on the mountaintop and things are good, the sun's shining, there is to be joy. And God, whether it's in the deep, dark stuff or on the high top of the mountain, sun is shining, God is for your joy through it all. God is for your joy. Joy has to do with something of a deep soul satisfaction or something of soul security through all the ups and downs of life. Knowing that my satisfaction and my security isn't found in my circumstance, it's not found in just that everything would go okay, it's found in this God who is for my joy. He is for, if you will, my soul satisfaction. He is for my soul security. He wants me to have footing for my feet when things are terrible. He wants me to be satisfied in him when I'm tempted to cope with all the difficulty that I'm facing. Biblical joy is something that is consistent through the ups and downs of life. It's soul satisfaction. It's soul security. And God is for that, for you. Right? Take that in. He is not the begrudging God. He's not in a bad mood. God is not in a bad mood. When he views you, when he views his, your circumstances, he ain't in a bad mood. And it's fundamentally why the psalmist can say something like verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us. That's nothing outside of God's own heart. You're actually praying God's heart when you say, God, I need your grace. Because I know I'm in need. I need that soul satisfaction. I need that soul security. I need that joy when life is all crazy. God is for your joy. The question that we often, and the tension that we often come to is, well, how do I get that joy? Because that, I don't know about you, but that's a fleeting reality. I, I might be here, and we may hear the testimonies, and I'm like, oh, yeah, life may even be difficult for you, but you hear the testimonies, like, okay, yeah, that's my God, okay. So, oh, all right, Lord, like, 
you got me. And then as soon as you leave the door, bad stuff happens again, and you're back to just, oh, where's God in all of this? So it's important for us to think about how do we attain this joy, this soul satisfaction, this soul security. The first point is going to be so obvious you may fall asleep. I'm sorry for that. But we have to get to this first point, that true joy, if we want to be on the road to pursuing this kind of joy, true joy comes from Jesus. There's your Sunday school answer. Where does joy come from? Joy comes from Jesus. There it is. Verse 1, may God be gracious to us, bless us, make his face to shine upon us. That's a familiar text, right? We oftentimes end our time together speaking that benediction. But as scripture functions, you remember, scripture is a story. And you, you get these kind of texts that are like, hey, I've heard of that one somewhere else, right? And what it does is it points us back through the text, all the way to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where, man, all of kind of hell is broken loose upon earth. And what we have by the time of Genesis chapter 12 is God finally moving, God doing something about the terror that has struck earth, you know, whether it's with Adam and Eve or the flood or the Nephilim and all the interesting things there, Tower of Babel and whatnot. So you have a world that is broken and God then jumps into the mess and he calls on Abraham and he makes a promise to Abraham saying, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this verse in 67, Psalm 67, verse 1, this verse points us back. It hyperlinks us back to Genesis 12, where God said, yeah, I'm going to do something about this. There you see the text. I am going to bless you so that you bless everyone else. That this joy, this biblical joy, might go to everyone, might be provided to everyone, that this blessing might go forward. And of course, who fulfills the reality of this blessing, but Jesus himself, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul will state, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, so that in Christ, here it is, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, might go to the nations. So as you turn to Psalm 67, verse 1, verse 1 is actually largely fulfilled. God bless us. God's saying, yep, I have. I've been faithful. I've been faithful to bless you. How? By sending my own son, Jesus, to become a curse for you, to take on the penalty of sin for you, to overcome the problem of death for you. I have sent my promised blessing to you. This verse Psalm 67, verse 1, has been largely fulfilled. Jesus has come. He is the fulfillment of the blessing, which is simply to say this, that Jesus is our soul satisfaction. He is the answer to the brokenness we feel within and without. He is our soul satisfaction. He is our soul security. He is the blessing. He is the joy that we all so desperately need. Jesus is is 
our joy. Just keep that in mind when you're trying to cope with all the brokenness of life. Perfect circumstances will not satisfy your heart and life. Jesus, 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 Jesus is your joy in this life. He is your soul satisfaction. He is your soul security. He is your joy. He's the blessing. So, verse 1, ah, Jesus has come. We look forward to the day when he will come again. But with Jesus comes all these added blessings, the very ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, that we get God's presence just as even we sung about here this morning. True joy comes from Jesus. But now just to take note, Jesus is absolutely fitting for the satisfaction and security of our souls. He's fitting. Where nothing else in this world is fitting to satisfy your soul and provide the security you need. No bank account is going to keep you from hardship. No relationship is going to be ultimately satisfying. No, it's Jesus who is the one who is uniquely fit to be your soul satisfaction and your soul security. How do we know this from this text? Well, the very blessing that Jesus becomes for us in verse 1 is, is the one who is talked about in this text. Jesus is this God. He is the way, as verse 2 will speak about. He is the way, which means he is the exclusive way to the Father. He is the exclusive one who can be for us soul satisfaction and soul security. Beyond that, he is the saving one. He is the way. He is the Savior. He came for us, died for us, that our hearts might be regenerate, that we might actually have access to our God, to the one that we were created to live for. He's setting us back within some sort of equilibrium to live our lives in such a way as they were always meant to be lived in relationship to God. He is this powerful Savior. He's done what no other man can do. He is the way. He is the Savior. Verse 4, he is the judge. Who will judge people with equity? We know, or we'll see this very soon in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, where it's this heavenly cry declaring, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. What does that mean? It means that he has the right, the one who can judge the world for the iniquity, for the brokenness, that is there. He is the one who is worthy. And why is he worthy? Because he's the one who was slain. The Savior is the one who is made fit now to be judge of all. He will bring justice. I want to bring justice to my life. If you only knew what happened to me this past week. I want to bring justice to these circumstances. No, no, no. Jesus is the one. He is the one that will bring justice and will bring justice perfectly. So you are, one day you will be satisfied in heart for the things that you've endured, for the losses that you've experienced. 
you will be satisfied in heart. Jesus will bring a perfect justice to bear. He is the judge, but then finally Jesus, as the blessing from God, he is the sovereign one. Oh, we could just have a whole time going over this stuff. Politics, 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 politics. Ugh. Jesus is the only sovereign one. There is no politician who rivals the authority and position of Christ. Did we care about politics? Yes. Don't lose perspective. Don't lose perspective. He alone is the sovereign one as Isaiah says it's like the nations are but just a little drop in a bucket to God. They may rage, they may wreak all kinds of havoc, and yet they're just but a little drop in the bucket. In other words, they are inconsequential in their power to the authority and power of Jesus. So don't grow weary. Don't be afraid. We should care, but don't be afraid. We don't have to fall back. Oh, man, what's going to happen next? Our Savior is over it all. The Sovereign One is over it all. And all of these things he will weave together such that one day when he returns, all things will be made new. So many of the situations that we find ourselves in in this age is to actually get our attention on Jesus. Everything is so loud in our society that we tend to just be captivated by it. It's so up in our face. But the whole point of the brokenness in front of us is to get our eyes upward. You will be treading water. It will feel like I got nothing. And you won't be able to see the, the shore ahead, right? You will lose, you'll lose hope in the craziness of this society. But the whole point is to get our gaze upward to the one who's over it all. Take hope there. Take rest there. He's not forgotten us. As we'll go through, continue to go through Revelation soon. This is just part of our journey. We are not home yet. We have not reached the shoreline yet. But until then, we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who is the sovereign one standing over the nations, directing the heart of the king like a river, like a stream. It's not as though, oh, one day he'll kind of like catch the mess and make it better. No, he's in it. He's working his perfect will through it all. So care about these things. Don't let it overwhelm you. Look to Jesus. He is the way. He is the savior. He is the judge. He is the sovereign one. He is our joy. That's all to say. You go through that list of all that Jesus is. It's outlined in chapter 67. And it's all to say. He is your soul satisfaction. Don't look elsewhere. He is your soul security. Don't look elsewhere. God has been faithful to his promise that he would bless his people. And he has expressly through Jesus. Jesus is our joy. But secondly, and this is the one where perhaps you'd be like, hmm, wasn't expecting true joy to be found this way. 
True joy comes not only through Jesus, fundamentally, but true joy comes from telling others about Jesus. Verse 1, as we just saw, is a request for blessing, for the joy that is found in Jesus alone. May God bless us. And the blessing is not to be an end in itself. The blessing leads to something else. The blessing leads to verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. In other words, the psalmist is saying, give us Jesus so that we might go share Jesus with others. So that his name, so that true joy would be known throughout the nations. Give us Jesus, give us the blessing, so we might go share that blessing with others. Now, sometimes it feels the other way around when we think about, oh man, we're having another missions emphasis. Sometimes it feels like sharing Jesus is some sort of great duty to getting Jesus. Like, if I'm really going to be the Christian, if I'm really going to be true to Jesus, well, then I've got I to gotta go share him with others to gain Jesus, right? That's backwards. It's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie that the mission and sharing That Jesus with others is some sort of obligation, some sort of cold obligation that we just have to kind of do. Another thing, another duty in the Christian list of things to do so that we get Jesus. David Platt says it this way. He says, God's blessing is not payment for services rendered. It's power and joy for a mission to be accomplished. When we move toward the lost, we are not earning God's blessing. We're jumping into the river of God's blessing that is headed where? To the nations. We're joining God in his purposes, in other words. We're not trying to earn something from God. We're actually joining God in his purposes. The blessing of Jesus doesn't come as a result of sharing Jesus with others. It's the very opposite way around. Missions work is the way and the overflow of this blessing, which is Jesus. So the river of joy in Jesus is actually pointed toward the lost, such that if you want to go deeper in joy with Jesus, it's time to jump into the river and go where Jesus is going, where his purposes and plans are going, and that is to be a blessing to the nations. His desire is that others would know something of his own joy, and therefore we don't share Jesus to get Jesus. Rather, because we have Jesus, oh, we share him. Because we know this joy, because we know something of this soul security and soul satisfaction, we got something to give away. We have something to share. But a further point to be made in all of this, if we intend to deepen our joy in Jesus, it certainly means sharing that joy with others. It means opening our mouths and speaking 
of Jesus. If you want to deepen your relationship with Jesus, joy must be cultivated. Right? It means we cultivate joy for Jesus in relationship to Jesus. Maybe this is just getting a little more complicated than it needs to be. But this is true of every spiritual discipline in our lives. Why do we read the Bible? Why do we pray? Why are we doing this? Yes, it's beneficial horizontally, but because I need to know again, and I need to go deeper in the reality that Jesus is my soul satisfaction and he is my security. He is my joy, and therefore I want to deepen that joy. I want to strengthen that contentment through life's ups and downs, and so therefore I need to go again and see and behold this Jesus, who he is for me. I need to hear the testimonies of others so that would stir my faith in, in my ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. I need to cultivate this joy. Otherwise, you'll be treading water. Treading water is always a process of drifting if you're in the ocean. <laughs> you won't be moving toward shore. You'll be carried away in the current. So the idea in the Christian life is we have all these resources before us intended by God so that we would actually deepen our joy in Jesus. But one of those spiritual disciplines is evangelism. One of the ways that God says, I want to deepen your joy in me is by you jumping into the river where God is going and going share, sharing Jesus with others. And you, you might say, okay, how, how, do, how does this work? How does this function? Well, C.S. Lewis is helpful on this point. He, he says this in his reflections on the Psalms. He says, the most obvious fact about praise, whether of praising God or anything, he says, I came to a very difficult place of tension. And I could not, he says, it, it's, this, this reconciliation strongly escaped me. I thought of it in terms, I thought of praise, in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment, more to the point, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows in praise. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praise the countryside, players praising their favorite game. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. The praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. When you go share Jesus with your neighbor, that's a moment of praise. The things that you love, that you cherish, that you would say, I take joy in, are the things that you tell others about. Because you can't complete the enjoyment of that thing without giving it away, without sharing it. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying, right? He's saying praise becomes such a unique aspect of the Christian life, because it's going to be completing our joy, whether it's coming to, into here in how we express our worship to God. We need to express it 
for that joy to have some sort of consummation, some sort of completion in our life, to go deeper in joy with Jesus. We need these expressions of worship. But what Psalm 67 is saying, what we also need is to get out the doors, and those who are lost need to hear about Jesus, but it is not this begrudging duty that God is placing before us. He's saying, I've given you joy, now complete that joy by sharing it with others. Go give it away. Sometimes, within our Christian life, we find ourselves in this place of apathy. Kind of muscling it through, you know? Um, last few weeks, I, to be honest, like that's where I was kind of at. Just, oh, I hate, I hate not being moved with affection for Jesus. Oh. You know, at, at times, at nighttime, when I go to bed, that's one of my wonderful moments with the Lord. Just declining my affections to him. That's just the way I want to end my day. Just, Lord, all right. I'm not thinking about the day. I'm just inclining my affections to him. Right? But man, in those moments, those seasons, where it's work. <laughs> I can't even raise my affections. I don't even feel like you're close. Right? Apathy sets in, and that could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's just the season of life. God's trying to teach you something through it. Maybe it's because there's other spiritual disciplines that are lacking within our Christian life. But here's what I want to say to the Western church, not just to us. Most of the apathy that I think we experience in this age is due to the fact that we're not sharing Jesus with others. We're just not. We'll do nice things. I did my Christian duty. I feel good about myself. But the point is to share the blessing, to literally give the blessing away so as to complete something of the, the blessing, the joy in Christ. Sometimes our apathy is because we're just not doing the work that Jesus called us to do. And I hate to use the word work because he's inviting us into deeper joy. That's the whole point. <laughs> Come take gladness in me. How? Well, go tell others about me. Okay, so... Puerto Rico trip. You know, we go down to Puerto Rico. We come back. We sit in front with everybody. And you watch Kev and Steve, you know, grown men, strong men, begin to tear up. Why? Because there was, there was something of a depth of joy in Jesus that was experienced in this concentrated focus of time where we're going to tell others of Jesus. We're going down there to minister to others who don't know Jesus, who need something of his healing touch, who need something of his care. And on the other end of that, oh, our hearts are moved. It's like, where are we going back again? When are we doing this again? Let's do it again. And then COVID hits and everything gets moved back. But even, even that is just like a touch point. I mean, that, that, that just makes it super obvious that the things that we should always be doing uh, are things that will deepen our joy with Jesus. We don't have to go to Puerto Rico to do that. We get to do it together, to care for one another through the process when sharing Jesus might get difficult. And yet, even when things get difficult, the testimony in Scripture, you've got Paul and Silas sitting in prison. What are they doing? They've been persecuted for sharing Jesus with others. But there's something in even the moment of persecution where God is near, deepening joy. And so what are they doing? They're continuing to sing. 
Isn't it amazing that we've been counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ? Isn't he so good? Joy is even completed, although there might be pushback and persecution. There's nearness to the Lord. There's joy that he renders to us. It's the testimony of Paul in the New Testament, you know, where he goes through those long lists of, uh, yeah, you know, we were, we were, uh, we went through hardship, and yet it wasn't ultimate for us. I, I love the little phrase that Paul says, we had nothing. We, we were sharing Jesus, we were on mission, and we had nothing, and yet he says, but we pos possessed everything. Paul, how do, you, how, do you do, how do you have nothing but possess everything? That just doesn't make any sense. But you know Paul's thinking. The world could give way, but I have Jesus, and therefore I'm secure. <laughs> I'm satisfied. I have everything. Everything could give way, but I have my Jesus. Does, does the giving way bring pain? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Does the giving way of the earth around us bring sorrow and grief? Absolutely. Sorrow and grief is not the opposite of biblical joy. No. Sorrow and grief. Oh, it's going to be the experience in this life. But there's something of that contentment, that joy where God is meeting us in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our pain. He comes to meet us in the mess to sustain our joy in him. He's that good. He's for our joy such that even when we share Christ, it will be something of a completion of our joy in Jesus, although there might be persecution and pushback. I gotta finish up. A few weeks ago, um, I asked the question, you know, have you how many people have you discipled in this past year? Part of this is my own, you know, test. I'm like, all right, Dan, how many of you discipled this past year? And as pastor, you know, you can kind of like get out of the question by saying, well, I do this every Sunday, um, so we're good. Uh, but no, like close, relational, maybe it's someone who doesn't know the Lord and it's to be meeting with them on a regular basis. How many people in the last year have you discipled or in the last two years have you discipled? How many individuals have you led to faith in the last five years? That, not that it's all about just numbers, right? We're just faithful to the task of joining the river of God as it goes to the nations, but it's up to God to bring the fruitfulness to bear. But still the questions stand, but probably another way that we could ask the questions is, have you cultivated your joy for Jesus in telling others about Jesus? Have you sparked something of that joy, tended to that joy? You know, um, it's springtime, and so like always, um, you know, we enter into springtime, and I just get so excited about gardening. Yes, get to get outside, get the garden, you know, all ready to, to roll and get all the, you know, the wood chips where they need to get all the new plants and, man, get the little structures going. And, and there's a point in place early in the spring where everything, this looks nice. This is great. And yet, by like June, July, the heat comes. Who wants to be out there in the heat? Right? Who wants to be tending to all the, the weeds now that are popping up? And before you know it, it's this unstoppable jungle. And so it's producing something. It produces a little bit. We get a little bit from it seemingly every year. And now we 
through the COVID season, we scrapped the whole thing and was like, we're getting a pool, forget this stuff. Uh, but back to the idea, it's, we are called to cultivate our joy in Jesus. And sometimes we're, we're content with, well, I'm gonna read my Bible and I'm gonna show up on Sunday. Done, feel good about myself. That will produce a level of fruitfulness. But it's important for us to remain consistent not just in the simple things, but also in telling others of Jesus. Back to the point, God is for your joy. He wants to stoke, bring your joy to a completion in him by empowering your witness to others. He's for your joy. This is a part of the spiritual discipline. So, God may bring people to you. More than likely, you gotta jump in the river and let him take you to others, right? So again, I don't want you to hear as we come to a conclusion, missions week or month or whatever, uh, to be like, oh man, like now I feel the burden of having to talk with others. Make sure that the category in your mind is this, God is for your joy. Just go complete it, go stoke it, go tend to it. Go cultivate it. There will be work, but oh, there will be blessing. Why? Because the one who is our blessing will prove himself all the more in completing our joy as we go.